Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show. This is a special lockdown edition for you folks. And I walked back after going and grabbing myself a beer to hear the boys talking about bodily fluids. So I'm uh, a little bit worried as to how this one might go this evening. Um, it could be, uh, it could go all over the shop. Um, but so we put a tweet out, or I put a tweet out um, and got a whole bunch of questions on Twitter. I also put a message out on Facebook and also on, uh, actually I'm not sure I did Facebook actually, but I did do YouTube um, as well. So we'll bring you those, that, that will provide the, uh, the kind of basis for our discussions. And uh, joining me this evening, um, I, first off, I've got Boa Hayding, sir. Very well. Kia ora, everyone. I hope everyone is well. I hope everyone is safe. Level 4 lockdown. Uh, version 3.1, I believe. Um, yeah. <laughs> good, to, good, good to be back on the show. And uh, I hope all, uh, all our fans out there are tuning in nice and safe. Uh, let's do this right. Let's do this quick. And let's get out of lockdown. Absolutely. And also joining me is uh, Stephen Harris. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you, Paul. And just want to really concur with what uh, Boa had just uh, has said as well. Just, you know, wherever you are, be safe out there. Please do the right thing. I mean, to say, uh, as per the news tonight, see some people still, I can't believe it, trying to travel out of Auckland or just breaking curfew. And I mean, to say that, just, yeah, exa- ex- exactly it. For, for us, to, us to get through this, we need everybody doing the right thing, and this is this is not the time to decide that you should shoot off to your holiday batch or, or basically you should shoot away to see families. But at this stage, I will say, my thoughts do go out to those who um, have have lost a loved one. I had a, a very good friend who lost his brother on Monday, and I couldn't imagine uh, what they're going through at this point in time. And sometimes sport all becomes a bit irrelevant, fellas. Yeah, it does. Um, look, folks, it, it's okay not to be okay. Uh, it's one of the messages I said that I was going to tell, put the boys that I'll do at the beginning of the show. Um, because, uh, look, I'm I'm sitting in my pajamas, uh, not had a great day today because I'm sometimes like, sleeping. And uh, but it's okay not to be okay, folks. Be be kind to yourselves. Uh, you will have good days and bad days. Uh, and uh, yeah, so don't so don't uh, so don't don't be harsh on yourself. And uh, we'll get through this one absolutely fine and come out the other side. And then also, uh, obviously, get. Uh, vaccinated as well so i'll be looking at uh, so i've registered to get my i've not actually got a date but i have registered on the vaccination thing uh i'll be trying to get a date soon on that one 
Um, I see you got a nice uh, green and white um, mug this evening. What are you What are you drinking there, Stephen? Um, I've got a nice um, green tea at the at the moment. Just um, green tea, avoid, very healthy. Just just with a sore throat. Just trying to avoid any uh, dairy products at, at this stage, fellas. And uh, Bella, how are you? What, 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 what's in that? Uh, what's, what's your tipple this evening? <laughs> the working man's beer, the blue collar working man's beer, line red, greatest beer probably on planet Earth. There we go. Had to do that as I got my 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 my, my, work, my working man blue collar. There you go. That's that, that's that's <laughs> Bella for you. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, Boa Bo, Bo has gone up in my estimation. Big, big time because, uh, also also a long time sponsor of uh, Northland Rugby as well, and uh, it's a case of uh, there's only one tree of beer we drink up here, mate. <laughs> yep, so it's uh, it's a real working man's. You know, the people yep. who have rough hands always drink line red, and 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 you can really enjoy it. I mean, I mean, I've had a very long, exhaustive. Yep physical day out there so I'm, yeah. I'm i'm really soaking it in and enjoying the company as well as the beer Every, everything else is an imitation trust me <laughs> <laughs> so this weekend folks um what was supposed to be happening was i was supposed to be going up to uh, north harbour and watching the uh, farrah palmer cup game stephen was going to join me for the uh, for the uh, npc game on friday evening i was uh, i was then going to head down to um Waikato, where we'd have the Thames Valley's first opening game of the uh, of the of the Heartland Championship uh, at uh, FMG Stadium, followed by uh, Waikato versus Wellington in the Farrah Palmer Cup and the MPC. Then I was going to drive back up to Auckland, get a lift with Stephen up to Northland for their MPC game as well. So I had six games lined up this weekend, all of which have been postponed. So. Um, yeah, so sorry, folks, no uh, post-match interviews coming to you this weekend. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were planning on um, on doing that mass uh, on, on, on that. But um, yeah, unfortunately, not to be. Um, so let's just dive into some of the questions then from um, we, that we got on Twitter. Uh, Peter Blackman asked us, is Warren Gatland too Northern Hemisphere influenced to be successful in Super Rugby? Oh, let's be it. So last year. Um, the Chiefs before, uh, sorry, two years ago, um, the, uh, the the well, uh, Warren Gatlin had a good start with the Chiefs, didn't he? Um, and then it all fell apart um, during um, uh, during during lockdown. Uh, sorry, after, after lockdown, uh, they didn't win a game in I think it was in the uh, in uh, in Super Rugby Altura, uh, the first edition, and then in the second edition, obviously with the Clayton McMillan in charge, did much better this year. Uh, including making a final as well. So, boys, um, what's the difference uh, that, uh, that Warren Gatton got it wrong and then uh, and Clayton Millen, McMillan, with his uh, more recent Kiwi background experience with the uh, Maori All Blacks and with Bay of Plenty, uh, knew how to play the right style? What, what, what's your thoughts, Bo? Yeah, look, coaching at this level, it's, it's all about understanding your cattle. The, the, the players, the resources you have at your disposal, understanding what their skill set, and then coming up with a game plan which is appropriate. So there's this grow saying, grow proverb, uh, when you've been in some place too long, you, you are that place. And I think that's what Warren Gatlin sort of uh, is. He's kind of, you know, subscribed to that where he's, he's based himself in the Northern Hemisphere uh, last few seasons. And you know, it's 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 a huge challenge trying to juggle. You last know, last few uh, seasons, last few seasons, he's been up there like, like for 
probably about 20 years. I mean, not last few seasons. He'd been there a long time. It's been there a long time. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, <laughs> few seasons, 20 years. <laughs> um, so, look, the, the, the reality is, particularly what he's done with the Lions, you know, he came up with a game plan based on the resources, the players' skills uh, at his disposal. So, you know, you, from, from a coaching point of view, you can't really blame him too much at all because, uh, you know, realistically, the Lions were, what, one, maybe two penalty kicks away from actually winning the series. You know, albeit a very boring series where both teams played very similar styles of rugby. Um, that being said, you know, you know, given that he's a, a Kiwi, a New Zealander, he could have very easily decided to go the other way. And that's probably a mistake he made in hindsight, particularly in that last test, because they continued in the same way. Um, and I recall uh, listening to an interview with Sir Graham Henry, where he said, look, unless the Lions change their style and if they keep playing the same way, it's it's going to be a win for the Springboks. So I think what it comes down to is understanding the players, the player profiles, the skill set you have, and drawing up a game plan which is uh, appropriate to those players. And end of the day, if you don't have players you believe that can deliver something beyond that, it's never going to happen. So I don't blame him too much. He's probably a victim of his own circumstances and probably a byproduct of his own environment. Stephen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, <clears throat> yes, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I know players who move different hemispheres sometimes struggle to get used to the style or pattern of, of game. Um, you know, somebody like Aaron Cruden is a, is a classic example of a player who who went north and didn't didn't quite capture that northern hemisphere style, but, you know, immediately came back to New Zealand rugby and, and kind of looked like he hadn't, hadn't left. I, I think it's probably going to take Warren Gatlin get. I mean, it's, a, it's been a... It's been a while since he's been coaching in New Zealand and the hope that the style of the New Zealand game, if you probably saw a super mm-hmm. rugby game from 20 years ago, 10 years ago, <clears throat> and even five years ago, the, the changes have been the changes have been huge across the board. And <clears throat> I suppose where where he's been up in Wales, no no question he's loyal. And you saw that in the um <clears throat> the selection of the Lions team where Quite often, he'd, he'd sort of, you know, you think back to hindsight's a wonderful thing, but maybe, maybe the adventurous Finn Russell may have been a better option than than Dan Bigger with with the kicking game. But I, I just think it's taking taken him a while to bed in. He's got to get used to the players. Players have got to get get used to him. So, um, you know, without even giving you a proper answer to the original question that w- was asked, I still, it's probably going to take him. A little bit to, to sort of find <clears throat> find his feet. Having having met Warren, <clears throat> yeah, it, it just strikes me as a as a as a person that's a little bit more insular. If that's if that's the word for it, I don't think he gives sort of guy who actually gives away too much. Not that most coaches do give away a lot, but yeah, hey, just to, I, I think he is a good coach, and he's more than capable of of doing good in this country. It's, what, it's interesting. What, what, I'm just looking at his record, and he's or his, he's um, uh, he's he did he did uh, three years at Thames Valley as an assistant, <clears> went <throat> off to Europe. Uh, that, so that they left there, left in '96, came back um, to Waikato for three years, 2005 to 2007, um, and then went off again. So uh, apart from one year as or a bit a bit a bit of work as um, 
a technical advisor for the Chiefs uh, during that time in 2006, 2007. He really hasn't actually, this this Chiefs bit is his first time at Super Rugby level, which is a kind of a bit of a surprise to someone who's, who's uh, coached um, <clears throat> both two, both, well, three British and Irish Lions tours, uh, Ireland and Wales, as well as um, teams in the Pro 14 and or what became Pro 14 anyway, and also the Gallagher Premiership. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite a uh, I, I I I was a bit surprised to see how little Super Rugby he's done. So yeah, well, one thing I have to say is with Warren um, with his attack ships, it's going to be a bit technical here from a coaching point of view. He's not a big fan of uh, attacking first, second face out wide. He wants to keep things very conservative. And I think that's largely that Northern Hemisphere influence. And also, they tend to play a lot from the 10, particularly kicking the ball out of hand. Uh, so when you come into Super Rugby, where you have slightly different you know, player skill sets, particularly with your uh, back three and outside backs having real good speed and ability to step in, uh, use those angles, you, you you know you've really got to utilize it and and if we were to look at what he did with super rugby in his recent stint because he probably didn't do that as much and margins are so fine uh that's probably where he struggles so that's that's one area he's probably going to have to uh repatriate himself if he is going to look at come back to the southern hemisphere and do some coaching uh but just looking at you know most of the attack patterns with what the lions do what wales did he, he's, he's very traditional, very conventional in that sense. And, uh, you know, without being too unkind to the man, he's not the greatest innovator when it comes to pushing the ball out wide. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because he comes back and we'll have um, Clayton McMillan as his, as his assistant coach um, next year. So it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how they work together and, and how things go after that as well. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how much he changes things from what from what uh, Clayton's been doing in that one. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I'm I'll go. Yes, he probably is. Perhaps too Northern Hemisphere influenced. Uh, but we'll see if what he's been doing is because of the cattle and whether it will change with the cattle he gets um, down south. I mean, he is clearly a a, a classic um, one. Um, Hayden Murray says we uh, that so I said what do you like to discuss and he says mullets. I mean, seriously, what is going on with um, with, with with New Zealand rugby players? I mean, they, they just seem to be. I mean, somebody put up a, put up a, a picture that said there the score was X, and if you counted all the points scored by people with mullets, it was the exact same score um, <laughs> for the All Blacks against uh, against the Wallabies. Um, oh dear, seriously, uh, um, I, I, I'm too old, uh, and you guys aren't exactly young either. So sorry, folks. We probably don't have the fashion input, but um, I don't know, Bo, have you got any feedback from Manukau Robes and the boys there uh, is as to what this whole mullet thing is all about? Uh, no, I, I have to say most most of our... Oh. <laughs> 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 most of my players at, at Rowers in Southside, uh, our demographic uh, doesn't necessarily tend to correlate too much with... Uh, with the mullet, it's it's mostly uh, you know my, my style of hair, which is no hair. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, I mean the picture that they're using for that score shows um, Severis and Richard Richard Mwanga um, with, uh, with with mullet. So okay, it's not like um, it's just kind of white white country hunting boys, is it? And it, it's it, it's it's across the because it used to be, obviously we've had Jack Goodhue doing it before and. It kind of was more a Europe, more kind of European uh, uh, Kiwi kind of or Pakiha kind of thing rather than necessarily a um, 
or I may, maybe I'm wrong here. I'm obviously I'm coming, but um, it, it felt like more of a Pakihau style. Um, and yeah. but now it seems to have gone across all, all, all the players. I mean, it was more eurosexual, like metrosexual, eurosexual. Um, well, one, one thing I have to say is, you know, Samson and Delilah, if you, if you remember Samson, his, his power came from, from the air. And if you look at Damien McKenzie, I mean, he was, I mean, it wasn't quite, quite the mullet. You, you know, you, so it, it, it's crying out, but, you know, based, based on, you know, two steps and, you know, giving it almost 60 meters straight over the, the crossbar, maybe there's a bit of correlation. So without actually doing a proper scientific research, we cannot conclusively say there is some kind of correlation, but hey, maybe this is something for NZR high performance to really have to think about. I was going to say, guys, I think I can recall um, England international Joe Mahler, who played for, plays for Harlequins. I can remember him sporting a, a, a top, <clears throat> what is it, a, a mohawk, big yes. and that had, that had all sorts of colours. So, yeah, I, this is just, a, and I, I think these are, this is just a case of guys showing their individualism. Of course, we saw Joe Weber at the um, at the Olympics in Tokyo with the New Zealand sevens team. The problem is when you have a haircut like that and you stand and you're having a bad game, you, I think your, hand, your haircut probably stands out just as much yeah. as your game as your, as the game that you're you're, you're <laughs> playing. And of course, we know uh, full full out Fakatava, as you can see, he's already got a fan already <laughs> decided to sport the same uh, the same haircut at that age. I don't know how he how he got away with it with his parents, but uh, listen, I just think it's a it's it's a, it's an individual thing. I know there's a lot of talk about um, a lot of people who are old school will talk about haircuts and what have you, but you know I still look at what players do what do what they do on the field regardless of the haircut. But I must admit, when you are having a bad one, there's always the there's so always funny. the train of thought to go, hey, maybe it he's more be... time on, on his hair. It seems to be en masse now for the uh, for the um, uh, within Super Rugby. Uh, Simon here says, "Yeah, mullets not a, not not a thing in Europe." No, absolutely they're not. Uh, what I'm saying is, it's the it's the it's the Pakiha or the um, uh, or it's, it seems to be a, a deep South redneck thing uh, in the states as well. It's definitely, but it, it seems to be more of a um, uh, culturally. Uh, uh, how do I say about being racist? It was more a white guys thing rather than a uh, an Islander thing. But I say. It seems to be that the Islanders and Maoris now are getting more into it um, as well. Aaron Smith, um, yeah, now he's one of those actually got a decent haircut, uh, and he is actually, a, and he's, in a, and he's, a, and he's a, he has been trained as a barber as well. So yes, he should get them, get them in the chair and give them a proper cut. Um, but um, Fakatar is not the only one that's doing that whole bleachy thing of the of, of the um, of the party piece at the back there. Uh, there's a couple of others who are doing it to a lesser extent. But look, at the end of the day, folks, how long does it change to get you to, to, to get yourself to a good haircut? From a bad haircut it just takes a couple it just takes half an hour right um if you get yourself a silly tattoo it's with you for life so if you're going to play around and do something silly do it with your hair not with tattoos is my and, and just, these guys can have fun well in america uh mullets are mostly sported particularly down south um guys wearing camouflage uh who brew moonshine moonshiners yep. yeah so uh it's it's a it's a weird thing uh, but, but, but at the same time you have to understand with some of these New age players, particularly the professional players, you know, they have big followings on social media, um, and it's it's uh, it's 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 a mark of kind of differentiating themselves with everyone else. So there's maybe there's more to it. Maybe it's a marketing tool. Maybe just getting more likes, more followers, and all this 
eventually will turn into cash. So who knows? Maybe there's a bigger picture. Most of us older blokes can't actually see. Yep. Uh, it's all a bit of, I say, it's, if you're going to mess around and do something individual, which, and look, their their business, their job doesn't require a smart haircut, so they can do whatever they like, and it's all good fun. Um, I um, you think Kevin Peterson uh, in cricket used to get a lot of flack for his. It's like, look, hey, why not? It's um, if you can do it. Richard Bishop then says, will the championship games be impacted, Paul, um, in response to this our lockdown show? So, um, look, uh, with our lockdown here in New Zealand, um, uh, West Aus- what I initially thought was that all the games would be um, having a um, would be happening. Actually, sorry, sorry. Um, perhaps they all have moonshine businesses outside of rugby activities. Look, in New Zealand, having a still is legal, so it's not moonshine. It's not it's not illegal. Whereas in the states, it's illegal. So here you can have your own still um, and make your own stuff. Whereas in the UK and in, in the states, you're not allowed to. Um, whereas here, you, you have to have a license in the UK and the US. Whereas in New Zealand. Hey, go for it. Have some fun. Just um, don't make it too strong, folks. You will go blind. Um, so yeah, will there be? Uh, so my initial thoughts were: look, everyone's going to go across to Perth. They'll lock it. They'll they'll basically have a bubble in Perth and play the games there. But then the um, premier or whatever his name is or whatever his role is in Perth said in in Western Australia said, um, look, uh, we're putting in a two week um, um, a uh, what is it quarantine for people from Australia and. That's um, that because of that, uh, obviously, uh, that's and he said that uh, initially there was no there be no exemption for the All Blacks. So I don't know if that no, I've not seen anything to suggest that's changed. When he was asked, mm-hmm. would the rugby championship games there all happen there? He said it's doubtful, which was I was like, wow, OK, that's uh, that's a very strong uh, or, um, message uh, there um, on that one. Um, the um, so but um and, and, and so I said, yeah, West Australia has, has allowed sports teams into the state in strict conditions. Sure, but that's from within Australia. We're talking about teams now coming from South Africa in in the uh, Pumas <clears> and the Springboks, and from New Zealand with the um, with the All Blacks, uh, and that might be a, a, a risk too far for them, considering the state of uh, COVID <clears> in South Africa, uh, and also the fact that uh, yeah that we, we've we've got this lockdown. Um, boys, have you heard anything else on top of that, or uh, um, because say Perth doesn't sound um, it sounds like it might be off the cards now. So, uh, and um, maybe maybe uh, it has to happen further afield. Maybe they all go to South Africa, maybe they all go to Europe. Uh, any thoughts? Oh, who, who knows? Listen, um, the Premier is, is Mark McGowan, and I know that when he was interviewed mm-hmm. by, by journalists, he didn't really give a d- decisive answer. He was a little bit unsure. I know on Wednesday they were supposed to put out... Um, put out some information where the risk was, what level of risk it was, but I had <clears throat> if they went ahead and played those games, but at this stage <clears throat> we haven't heard anything. So maybe the case of no news <clears throat> is good news. Yeah, I was uh, actually listening to uh, uh, a press press conference with Mark McGowan, particularly to do with uh, the championship. He was very categorical saying that even that New Zealand has now gone into a lockdown, Anyone coming flying in from New Zealand must go to a two-week quarantine. So that's probably going to put everything out of whack because uh, the All Blacks are supposed to leave to Western Australia this Sunday. Uh, one thing which I've heard of is uh, one of my contacts at the uh, at Rugby Pass, uh, Tom Winscombe. I think that he's just put out an article as well that there is uh, talks which are being held as we speak, Sansa 
and World Rugby to host the championship in Europe. So that's they're looking at four different cities as well, which is I think London, Paris, uh, Dublin, and uh, obviously Millennium Stadium, Wales. Uh, format of double headers. So all this is, you know, nothing's been confirmed, but obviously there are talks happening because uh, given that anyone flying into Europe via Singapore won't have to isolate or quarantine. So that that attraction is there. And of course, you could, I mean, imagine, you know, the, the box versus uh, the All Blacks, the, the 100th game, 100th year, sorry, uh, <clears throat> being played place like Twickenham, which, which will have a full house. So all that revenue, the TV rights, and of course, to our, to our friends, our Springbok supporters playing in Europe will be a much better time zone for them. Unfortunately, we'll have to be watching the games early morning sort of thing. So uh, I think, you know, that's understandable in the professional era. They've got to do what they have to do. But at this stage, it looks like Western Australia is probably 99.9% out of the question. Yeah, I do. If, if Western Australia is out of the question, the rest of mm-hmm. Australia is out of the question as well. Western Australia was the only place there that was really a possibility as far as I'm, as far as I, I could really see it. To be honest with you, New Zealand now is definitely out, out, out of the uh, out of the equation, and I think South Africa also. Mm-hmm. So, yes, neutral territory in Europe looks like it's going to be pro- the most likely one if the rugby championship is to go ahead. Uh, and let's be honest, all of these um, rugby. Uh, unions are absolutely strapped for cash at the moment, so they have to uh, make these games happen um, because they just will. Otherwise, they will just go bust. So these games have to happen because they need the TV money. The only uh, question then would be: Would they play nine o'clock in the morning games in Europe so that it's a de- so that Sky Sports New Zealand um, <clears throat> has it at the time zone that they want? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they could play them earlier in the day so that we have an evening game. Um, rather than necessarily uh, a, uh, a an early morning game. Talking of early morning games and the early championship, there is one game this weekend, which is the Springboks versus the Pumas, um, which will be at 3 a.m. Sunday morning. Um, and um, so, uh, um, so let's. Uh, uh, so I will be up at 3 a.m. to watch that on Sunday morning and doing your post match reaction to that one. Um, Stephen is shaking his head, saying he won't be. Uh, this has not surprised me um, <laughs> because um, one of the questions that has been, so yes, yeah, so do so do join us, for, do join me for that. I think and, uh, and probably John um, with his one-eyed Springbok view um, for that one. Because um, um, uh, uh, he, he wouldn't pick anybody from the All Blacks on a, on a world on a world fifteen. Um, so yes. But then again, Bo wouldn't pick anyone who wasn't an All Black from the World 15. So we, we don't worry, we're balanced on the show. We have our one-eyed uh, All Black supporter and our one-eyed uh, Spring Block supporter as well. So it's all good. I was going to say we have chip on the block, evenly. <laughs> no, no, hey, I, I, I would pick uh, Hooper at number seven, my first choice. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that one-eyed, you know. So <laughs> and yeah, probably yeah. Justin Colby as well. So sorry, Justin Colby, at where? Oh, first choice winger at 14. Oh, yeah. I, I, thought, I, I heard you say Cheslin Colby at 12. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that, that would be, <laughs> that's an interesting one. Um, uh, Simon's saying, yeah, look, Twickenham has, has uh, look, Twickenham has got obviously great, very good floodlights. They could play any time of the day or night they wanted to, to be honest with you, uh, noise um, permitting. Uh, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, clearly, 7 p.m. local time. 
is, is, is probably what they'll be going for, but uh, which would make it about 7 a.m. our time. But it would be nice to uh, if they did a 7 a.m. game <clears> the <throat> 7 p.m. our time. But that's 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 we'll have to wait and see um, what happens there. Um, Gur or um, or at Stranglemint and uh, says, why are people calling the world champions boring and demanding to be entertained, not admiring match winning strategy in all its forms? Right then. Um, Stephen, you gave us a little shake as to why you're not going to watch the game this on Sunday. Do you want to take us take us away on that one? Uh, listen, for me, I, I I think it's probably for me. I, you already know what you're going to get. I mean, it's like mm. I, I I kind of like to be entertained. You know, one of the reasons why I do like sides that play on a play on attractive brand is just that you know you're going to get movement. You're going to get you know you're going to get bang for your buck. Just with regards to the way the South Africans play, it's listen. It it, it is winning rugby, and that's what it basically comes back to at the end of the day, but I, you know, I, I, I really, if you ask the question, world rugby, they've, they've, they've changed the rules around, they've brought in a 50-22 rule, and that's basically to push wingers back, but all of a sudden, most teams that I've seen using that rule are actually looking for the 50-20, which once again takes takes any sort of ball, ball movement right, right out of the equation. Um, yeah, to be honest, they're world champions, and you've got to pay them respect, and they're grinding because when you when you consider where they where they came from, I can recall when they got beaten by fifty seven nil at at Albany, and admittedly it wasn't their strongest combination, and, the, and their turnaround has been nothing short of sensational. But whew, it's it's a tough style of rugby. I know if the boot was on the other shoe, mm-hmm. and the All Blacks were playing that style of rugby, they'd be copying a whole lot of criticism for playing such a grind style. I can think back to probably Laurie Maines in uh, probably between 90, 93, 94, which he played a style which was pretty much a grind. Mm. Yes, there were times they were getting across the line, but it wasn't it wasn't always pity. But listen, it's not, not to say they should be given credit. They are getting across the line. And, you know, even it's, you could arguably say it was the second string side that they stuck out on the paddock on the weekend, but they know they're a little bit like the French and New Zealand. They've got a lot of depth across the board. Hell's teeth, if the All Blacks stuck out a second string side against the Pumas and got beaten, do you think anybody would care? I don't think so. It would still be an All Black team for everybody. I can think when the All Blacks didn't take a game seriously in the United States against the Irish in Chicago, where they didn't put a what to me was a very understring side, and they paid the ultimate price. Yep, the uh, it does. You're right. It does. It's at the end of the day. It's yeah. The jersey's been worn, and that's the team that's there representing it. Look, one thing to be clear on here, folks. What the what the Springboks do is not easy. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of skill. Uh, and other teams have tried doing it and failed. But they are uh, they are very good at what they do. They're very well coached what they do, uh, and it is very effective. But it is not necessarily fun to watch when you know what's going to happen. It's going to be it's going to be a high ball that's contested. Mm-hmm. They're going to look for it. They're going to look for a penalty from that. They look to kick more penalty, uh, kick for a line out more penalty, kick for a line more penalty, and score. Um, now they've got three of the most most um, uh, attractive and attacking uh, back three players in the world uh, it, uh, that they just don't use, apart from very but maybe once or twice a game. And that's for me in a lot of sense. It's that it's that uh, knowing that they could do so much more. And just not doing it, and it, it's like painting by numbers. 
Now, painting by numbers, to get a good picture, you've still got to paint very well, right? But you know what the picture is going to be before you start. Whereas um, when we look at other teams who, who, who don't paint by numbers, you don't know what the picture is going to be. And that's why it's more interesting. Um, what really made this particular series boring um, was the fact that the Lions played the exact same style back at them. And that was where it got boring. It's because we had two sides doing the same thing, playing paint by numbers. So to me, it wasn't so much that the Springboks were boring. It's that the series was boring. Um, and that when we see the Springboks come up against a different style, then it will be interesting to see which of the two styles wins, uh, who executes that style better. Um, mm. So for me, it's not so much the fact that the Springboks are boring. It's that the, the series is boring because both sides took a boring style of play. Um, Bauer, I can see you trying to want to jump in. Well, for me, there's two key things. The series is boring. Springboks are boring. Um, look, gentlemen, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there, there is a very important factor, I think, in particular the professional game, uh, why professional sides need to play attractive rugby. Uh, in any sport, the top echelon, if we are to grow the sport, and in this case, if you, if you want to grow the game of rugby union, uh, it has to be attractive to watch. It has to be easy on the eyes. And anyone who knows nothing about rugby, if they're watching a game of rugby the first time, they have to have that, uh, the, you know, the law of attraction has to be there because they're watching something fast-paced, something which is entertaining, something which is interesting. And However, unfortunately, un un unfortunately, with, with, the, with this particular Lions series, you know, we didn't see that. You know, the ball was live in play for less than 20 minutes in, in, in I think, the first test. So that's... that's <laughs> One quarter in an 80-minute game. Um, now, I'll, I'll give you a, a classic example. Uh, one of the fastest-growing sports in the world is um, professional unarmed combat sport. It's, it's called mixed martial arts, which is you know, the UFC. Uh, at, at the highest level, when you have top pay-per-view fights, if the uh, people running the show, if they deem that a fight is too boring, I'll guarantee you those two fighters or a, a particular fighter will never get another chance to be on a, a, a major pay-per-view card. That's just the way they look at it. They look at it from an entertainment point of view, uh, eyeballs, and they want to get more new entrants into the sport. So I think from that perspective, it is absolutely paramount that all teams, particularly the professional teams, play entertaining rugby. On the other hand, you know, um, it was all about getting the W. So, end of the day, all which matters is after 80 minutes, what the record shows. The win goes to the spring box. doesn't matter how it happens. Uh, so, it really depends on which side of the coin you subscribe to. I firmly believe that, you know, I, I like to see fast, open rugby the way it's supposed to be played, where the ball is live in play for more than 40 minutes in a game. So, uh, hopefully that gives you some perspective uh, and, you know, Springboks, when they come up against the All Blacks, hopefully they change tack. Maybe they won't. But I have a feeling all this uh, will come to a head and possibly coming crash down to earth uh, with uh, the Springboks not being able to keep pace with the All Blacks. Well, that's... Come, sorry. Paul, one, one, thing, one thing I will say about the Springboks, though, they'll... They'll probably be really aware of uh, a lot of the, the criticism around. It's it's not via our our, our mm -hmm. show as well. 
you, you search a lot of the, the social networks, they're, they're, they're copying a lot of criticism about their style, and that also might that also might bond them even 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 more and make them more determined. Because let's face it, they have they have got some real world class players in their side. I, I, I'm staggered when I watch the Curry Cup and just see the amount of talent that they've got running around out wide. Wide, although probably what may have been a um, an eye opener if you are a South African rugby supporter, a lot of those um, Curry Cup teams, um, minus a lot of their top players, man, they were put away quite. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Easy by, by the Lions. And, and I just think if the Lions had just been a little bit more adventurous and taken South Africa mm-hmm. to some, some places that they don't want to go, a lot of people will say, man, there was a lot of missed tackles in the Australia All Black game. But that's because the All Blacks will take you to places that you don't want to go to. They will take you wide. They will move move you a while around. Guys like Aaron Smith will probe for opportunities. Listen, sometimes it doesn't always always come off, especially if, if another team basically looks them in the eye in the same way as England did in the um, uh, Rugby World Cup semi-final. I had a lot of, lot of respect for the way England played that game because they absolutely shut the All Blacks down. They knew how the All Blacks were going to play, but man alive, they just attacked them in certainly certain areas, and technically they were very good, but you know, with a team like the British Lions, you know, one try that stands out was that try that um, Liam Williams started when the Lions played the All Blacks at Eden Park, and Sean O'Brien scored. Man, you know, that's, that's the sort of rugby they are capable of playing, but you almost get the impression that they're just too gun-shy to take a risk at the yeah, thought of maybe okay. getting away from their structure pool. Is what you I'm go saying. back and look at that game, and the reason that, that, that that's try happens is because Liam Williams <clears throat> goes to kick and notices he's going to get charged down, I think by Kieran Reid or somebody. Kieran Reid. And therefore, yeah. therefore that, that, that option is taken away from him. He wanted to kick, but he had no choice. He had to run. And that led yeah. in... So in some ways... Kieran Reid was too good with a kick chase <laughs> that led to that try. But anyway, you're right. You still need the skills to finish it off. Um, but that wasn't necessarily there. That wasn't the instincts of how they wanted to play. Talking about that, I mean, Boa, uh, you're talking about there against uh, South Korea not being able to live with New Zealand. Um, and I think that's what it's going to come down to, isn't it? Is keeping is, is keeping that ball in play and making the South Africans play um, as much as possible 
to tire them out, isn't it? I'm just going to put some wood in the fire while you while you guys have a quick chat about that about the uh, the upcoming uh, Springboks versus All Blacks. Yeah, look, no, no, no question. One of the key things I'd say is also, if you recall uh, the last Springbok victory in Wellington when they beat the All Blacks, you know they did so by playing a very fast, open-paced game. So they have the tools, they have the tactics, they have the strategic ability to do that away from home. So for whatever reason, um, you know they've they've become ultra conservative, um, and it's they don't want to be caught up in this trap for too long because it's not an easy thing to move away from that because you know if it's not broke, why change it sort of mentality? So I think this is where the the, the Springboks don't want to be caught in a, a sense of uh, false security because let me be very clear: the All Blacks are not the Lions, and <laughs> the Lions. Nowhere close to where the All Blacks are at the moment. And the, the scary thing is the All Blacks will improve from here as well. So there's going to be a bit of a catch-22 for the Springboks. Hopefully, hopefully, they will come to play. They will come to play fast open rugby. And we will actually see a spectacle for the sake of rugby union. One, one thing I will say, I think the All Blacks, if they are to play the Springboks, I think they need to go in to a test with four quality, quality props. And I think if Moody mm -hmm. and Tuanga Fussy are available, I think you've got to have your best scrummages available if you're going up against the uh, going up against the Springboks. Um, you know, I, I think if you think back to that 2019 World Cup, I think it was a little bit of a mistake to have left. Did they leave Owen Franks home or they left? No, sorry, they left Carl Tunukuyafia home. They, they, left, they left a couple of key scrummages home. In, in, in my ability, you know, international rugby is still about getting your your, your set pieces right, especially that set piece scrum. And boy, I've seen a, a couple of games in the past where the All Blacks have not always played well, but because they've had a dominant scrum going into that last quarter of the game, it's got them across <clears> the line. It was yeah, Owen Franks, I think we left last time, and you're absolutely right. One thing I do have to say is with the, uh, the particular game against the box, um, the the back row is going to have, have a big impact as well, particularly with those carries where we will have to be very confrontational and physical. So we make sure that we win the collision and get that fastball. If we do that successfully, it's game over. I don't think any side uh, in world rugby can keep up at that pace. And Paul, you alluded to it. Uh, it just comes to playing the ball live. More time, ball gets air in hands, no side will be able to keep up with that pace against the All Blacks. Yeah, John. John on uh, on on Twitter said, "Yeah, how do you think the scrum will fare against South Africa?" Which is exactly what you just talked about there, um, Stephen. Um, good one there. Now let's switch over to NPC then now um, for a couple of questions. Um, now, someone uh, from Wilder asked, "Why is Wairapa the only region without an NPC team?" Well, they do have an NPC team. It's in the Heartland Championship, so I don't know why we had that question, but there we go. Um, but Framwala also asked why the Magpies coaches from last year didn't get a gig at a Super Rugby franchise. Stephen, you're, you're, it's, uh, what do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good question. There, <clears throat> both Mark Ozich and and Josh Sims are, are pretty young coaches. <clears throat> excuse me, in the in, in the in the scheme of things, um, I think this year was looking to be a really really <clears throat> big test because. Uh, I think what they've basically shown in recent seasons, they're a good championship mm -hmm. team. 
but I think this year was going to be the the real test. You've seen that with um, Clayton McMillan, where he brought Bay of Plenty up as the winning team, and they just seem to have. And whilst they've got a new coach under um, Daryl Gibson, is it? Uh, he's the new coach yep. for the Bay of Plenty Steamers. They don't seem to be missing too much of a beat at the moment because once you get into that premiership, I think you've got to show mm. that you're capable of going the next step. So with Bay of Plenty, what they did, they boosted their roster. Um, um, uh, you know, they, you, you saw that by they bring in Nornisi Ratabu, the uh, Fijian winger, who I understand Fiji did not cap so he could end up picking up a, a super super contract on Hawks Bay. It, it's a real big one. It's a big one for me, for them, this year as as far as I'm concerned because they're probably out of the teams that I've watched so far. And I know they got a good win over Otago. It was at the weekend. They're probably the likely candidate to uh, drop down. I would have said Waikato a week ago, but then Waikato's gone and uh, turned it around. But they are good coaches. I just think they just got to bide their time. A little bit, but I think somewhere in the system, um, the likes of Ozic will get an opportunity. Maybe, maybe coaching the development team, as did Dale McLeod, who coached the Highlanders development squad this year. Yeah, it's, a, it's look, it's a it's a very competitive space. High performance coaching, uh, first class level in New Zealand. You know, we we only got five franchises. You're looking at anywhere between twenty to twenty five coaches. So, you know, the cream of the crop. Uh, it's it's a very, very competitive space. Um, and also one thing I have to say is with what's been happening over the last couple of years, particularly with COVID, we're actually seeing a lot of good coaching talent coming back into New Zealand. So this competitive space is now super competitive. It is ultra competitive. A good example is uh, this year's NPC, Manawatu, uh, uh, Manawatu coach uh, Pete Russell, coming back into the high-performance coaching space in New Zealand. So... You know, we're seeing some real high-caliber quality people. So you're absolutely right, Stephen. It's just about biding time. And, of course, uh, the selection criteria, uh, which is set out by NZR for the Super Rugby franchise. And then keep in mind, we have club coaches from within the province trying to step up to the NPC level. Uh, but there are now prerequisites. If you want to coach at first class or Super Rugby level, you have to have equivalent experience potentially overseas. So it's it's not as easy as it may seem. And just because you have good success at NPC, it is not a guaranteed success ticket or ticket to success um, in Super Rugby. And uh, one thing I have to say is it's uh, from NZR as well as the individual high performance uh, selection criteria for coaches, you know, they've, they've, they've got it pretty much right. So it's it's a very, very competitive space. Most of these coaches, they shouldn't be disheartened. They will get the opportunity. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an evolving space. So experience, uh, skills, innovation, and, of course, overseas experience. And, and you've got to do your time. You do your time, you will get an opportunity. That's just how it I, works. I got it, Jay. Um, that's, uh, if you think Razor came through the under-20s, uh, the um, the All Blacks and the Twenties, the Baby Blacks. You've got um, Clayton McMillan's come through the Maori All Blacks. So I think that's what they need to be looking at is one of those kind of um, areas. Uh, I think that's part of the pathway into Super Rugby uh, coaching. Is, is is if you want to be a head coach anyway, um, you've got pe um, people like um, oh, I've just gone blank as the attack coach 
for the Chiefs, um, used to be a White, a White Cato record try scorer. Um, uh, Roger Randall. Roger Randall, thank you. Roger um, Randall. He, he came through by just being a White Cato uh, attack coach and then, Chiefs, then a Chiefs attack coach, but he's not trying to be a head coach. I think, you want to be, I think if you want to be a head coach, then you expect that then, then there's there's more requirements before you get the, those opportunities than if you want to be a, an assistant coach. Paul, I was going to say even even some experienced club coach, even some very good professional coaches have gone back to grassroots. Uh, Colin Cooper <laughs> has returned to grassroots and he's coaching Clifton for crying out loud. What a quality coach they've got at the moment. Auckland B is being coached by Greg Aldis, former. County's Monaco coach at the moment, and boy, there's some talent running around in that Auckland B team as well. Crazy! Look out for a oh, team by the name of yeah. So, so, so Colin Cooper back to back to Taranaki Club Club Rugby. Um, the we've got an ex international coach and ex County's Manukau coach uh, coaching. Uh, was he at Marist uh, in in Auckland from memory? Um, yeah, Dallas Suasua. Yeah, okay, thank you. So Suasua, uh, ex um, Black Ferns coach as well um so you've got so um you've got so yeah you say there, there, there are some um wayne smith is going to be assistant coach at um uh at Waihi next year uh there are some very very good coaches uh, kicking around in club rugby with paul baines as the analyst and you gotta you, guys you gotta understand being a head coach is, is actually very risky because it's your whole neck at the end of the line, if you don't deliver the results. What's One that? of the most safest spaces is being an assistant coach or something like what I do, technical advisor, because <laughs> you're, you're lesser likely to be the scapegoat of an uh, unsuccessful season. And you can always say, hey, look, if they did what I told them to do, it would have been a very different outcome. So just, just putting it out as well. Hey, Paul, there's a classic saying from a former New Zealand rugby league coach who was a legend, Graham Lowe, Abs absolute limit legend and top guy, motivator, speaker. But he coined the saying, there are coaches and there are coaches waiting to be sacked. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> there aren't. There, no, there, there, all coaches are waiting to be sacked. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, and and, and uh, gents, not many people may know this. Scott Razor Robertson started his coaching career at the Sumner under eight age grade. That's right, Sumner under eight age grade. And he is now regarded as one of the most innovative and most, you know, arguably one of the smartest rugby minds going out there in world rugby. So there you go. So there we go. So Aaron, who, uh, so, um, sorry, not Aaron, Ashwin, um, who has uh, been a regular on the show, has missed, has, uh, we haven't seen him for a while, to be honest, but uh, as he's doing his, uh, the under nines um, at, um, uh, uh, suburbs, maybe he is the next uh, next All Blacks head coach in the waiting, or, or, or future All Blacks head coach in the waiting. We'll have to wait and see. Um, <laughs> there's only one. There's only well, one problem there. Nobody from south of the Bombay's will ever get selected for the All Blacks yeah. team. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is there is a lot of support uh, uh, with regards to coach developer, coach educator. That's just you know it's an area which I have a lot of passion for, and which I spend a bit of time as a volunteer. With NZR. So there's all those things in place. So it's uh, it's it's really nice to see, like, for example, uh, <clears throat> with, with some of the NPC coaches who are running around and, you know, club grassroots. You know, we had Bradley Mika, who was coaching overseas in Malaysia, and he's come back to 
coach Paptoy at uh, Club Premier Grade. So we're going to see more and more high-quality talent coming back. It's going to become a super, super competitive space, which is all the, you know, all the better for New Zealand rugby. Yeah, one of the, you use one word in there that um, that is a barrier, that makes it a barrier to some people, and that's the word volunteer. Is that if you can't afford to volunteer um, because of other, because you need to be earning money uh, from other places, and you can't, you, you don't, you can't, you can't dedicate the time to it, then yeah, then unfortunately you're going to miss out. Um, that yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, because it is such a sought after and something that one people want to do, people will do it for free to get themselves on the ladder. And if you can't do that, then unfortunately you're going to struggle. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, you're not going to get on the ladder at the bottom ladder on a on a living wage, unfortunately, unless you're an ex-player. Um, Mr. Joey Nanai um, uh, on on Twitter um, with with a bit of a heavy one here. Uh, he says he wants us to talk about the uh, mistreatment of fringe players by unions around the country. Ouch. Um, I'm not sure if he's got any particular um, names. Uh, in mind with that one, um, I think one of the things that, uh, that 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 does cause, particularly club rugby fans and, uh, and and provincial rugby fans, rather than necessarily the fans who are who are sort of casual fans of, of, of the MPC, um, a, a lot of angst, is multi-year contracts. Is that historically your MPC was the best players from club rugby, uh, and that you earned your place in the MPC team every year. Nowadays, uh, you, you can enter the club season um, with players knowing there's only two or three spots up for grabs potentially in the NPC squad because of multi-year contracts. Now, from a player's point of view, you totally understand it. You, you, the, the, the certainty around having a multi-year contract is massive um, rather than uh, all you have to do is break your leg in an early club game uh, and you can be coming back at the end of the club season and, hey, presto, um, your season's gone. Whereas with a multi-year contract, you can come back and you can still play NPC and you can still earn, uh, earn your wage. So um, maybe that's where he's coming at it from. Um, but um, Stephen, your thoughts on 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 how provinces treat players and uh, especially fringe players and and the the expectations put upon them, maybe. Well, the first thing I'll I'll say, um, selection is in the eye of the beholder for starters. Yes. Whoever the Whoever the whoever the head coach is, um, basically he's he's only seeing through his eyes, and there's probably a whole lot of <clears throat> tick boxes that goes with a with a player that you're looking at at club level. It's not just the player's form; it's how the player is as a person, mm. whether they attend HP camps. Um, so there's a whole lot of little tick boxes that that go along the way. But uh, listen, I've, I've gleaned some information from a particular provincial union and I, I won't say of who it is and it's it's actually not north it's not northern that I can confirm with you but I think it's just a really really great idea where say for example if a, a player is given his his first first contract for his first year and that contract per se is twenty two twenty three thousand dollars the player is pretty much told if they have a strong season first season that contract gets bumped up for the next for the next for the next season, maybe to twenty five or twenty eight thousand, and in that second year, if they pick up a super super contract, the union will pay overs for that particular contract. And I know of a, a union that's actually 
doing that at the moment. Now, that's a, a three-year deal, but with the option, if the player doesn't pick those those boxes, they can actually pull that contract. And I, I just think it's a, it's a great idea because sometimes you can get a situation where a player does get signed for maybe two or three seasons and maybe doesn't quite hit, hit that level. You know, your expectation, second, first, at least by the second year, they should be looking to hit a... Uh, a uh, super super rugby contract and um, listen I I fully take my hat off to that union I'll, I'll tell you guys who it is once the show's finished um, just to basically keep the keep things a little bit secret but I think it's a great idea I've got a very good idea who which union is so, but anyway um, that's I, I won't speculate uh, but yeah no exactly I mean one of the things in, in cycling is another sport that I, I really enjoy and uh, a lot of um, cyclists get two-year contracts um, and uh, one of the things you'll hear journalists talk about is, oh, yes, he's in his final year of his contract, and suddenly they up their game uh, because they're trying to earn the next contract. Uh, so, yes, there is an element there of, uh, of uh, perhaps people become complacent. Now, uh, we're talking their proper salaries, unlike the, the 20, look, let's be honest, uh, living off 20K a year um, is not easy, I kind of know. Um, so, look, that's not a, uh, that's not um what uh, that's not that's not a, a, a kind of a really a living you know that's not a full-time wage you've got to have another job outside of that but that's but then again you're only it's only a 12-week season so um add in an, a, a month or two of pre-season uh and it's uh, that's you're getting paid for five to six months worth of work so um it's understandable that it's not a full 12-year salary a 12-year 12-month salary <laughs> um in that as well um but um but yes um uh uh, your your thoughts on this um, this this uh, topic, Bob? Well, look, uh, the, the reality is with with the evolution of uh, pro- open professionalism, this is this is always going to be um, one of those you know prickly little issues, particularly with players who are looking to transition from club premier grade to NPC level. So, I think one of the things. Uh, you know, rather than sort of dwell too much on the problem or the issue, what I would like to talk about and what I would like to actually discuss a solution, which is looking at particularly at super IP level, limiting how many players a particular franchise can draft from outside their uh, home unions. Because by actually doing that, uh, you're giving your local uh, uh, pool of players a better chance of getting selection for first class, i.e. professional contracts. And then that streamlines the whole NPC to Super Rugby link. For, for example, with the Blues, you know, there are three uh, key provincial unions, which is Northland, Auckland, um, and, uh, geez, slip my mind, and North Harbour, make a pipe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so those three unions. So, you know, if, if say, for example, if the Blues were to, if there was a rule saying that the Blues have to pick 95% of their players from within those three uh, provincial unions, and you can only have 5% of players from outside, it's going to significantly change uh, the, the the landscape for the better of the, the, the local provincial union players. Thereby, you will see most of these fringe players who uh, transition from club rugby to NPC will actually stick around a bit longer because what we're actually seeing at the moment, gentlemen, is that we're seeing most of these fringe players who are sort of there or thereabouts, really good club Premier Gate players, they tend to go overseas. Not necessarily play top-level rugby, but rugby at a, at a level where they will get something uh, financially. But 
they see that as a better option because they understand as a fringe player, they're never going to make it past it. So I think from a, from a strategic point of view, that needs to uh, happen. And then the provincial unions and their administrators need to align themselves with that strategic direction. Uh, but that, you know, that's the ideal world. But the reality is, you know, every union wants to win. They want to do well because it has a knock-on effect. And of course, there's huge pressure from the coaching staff. You know, uh, if, if, for example, if you, if you tell the Auckland coaches, look, you can have anyone you want, they would stack themselves one to 15 with quality players, not necessarily from within the Auckland Union, but from wherever they can find and recruit where they can afford the coin as well. So it's, it's not a simple issue. It is, you know, somewhat of a complex issue, but I think medium to long term, if I was an administrator, that's what I'd be doing. I would want to encourage a streamlined system where local players from club rugby transition successfully through the tiers from NPC to super rugby. And then hopefully we will see these fringe players get a better deal. Well, I think uh, you, 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 by, by doing that, you'd ruin the, uh, the, the Highlanders' entire recruitment policy um, in particular. Um, but it's different for the Highlanders, where you've got, look, you've got two provinces under you, unlike the Chiefs, who have got five under them. And the Chiefs are with, with, with um, Counties Manukau, Waikato, Taranaki, Bay of Plenty, and... Is there any four? Maybe it's four then. Um, but they've got four under them. Whereas you look at some, you look at the uh, the Highlanders. They've got Otago and Southland. Uh, Southland, um, who are look are, are, are improving. But if you look at them over the last um, five years, uh, have had seasons where they win, win one, maybe two games. Um, that that cannot. And you, you can't fund. You can't put together a Super Rugby side from from those two from those two provinces. Uh, so they would need some dispensation um, being down there, or they would have to. Take on someone like Taranaki. Um, look, it's, it's already been part of two Super Rugby franchises. They 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 could, they could change the Highlanders next, uh, taking the third one, um, and make their way all the way around it. Uh, look, I remember seeing tweets out from um, from Auckland Rugby uh, saying, "Hey, good luck to our players who are playing in all five of the Super Rugby franchises this weekend." Um, so yeah, it is a um, that 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 that's uh, that alignment between. Um, the provinces and Super Rugby franchises is not there from a playing point of view. It is from a administrative and a um, and a coaching point of view. The um, the, the where uh, resources, particularly around the um, things like uh, performance analysis, etc., there'll be computers, uh, cameras, and stuff handed down and spread out around the provinces. That's there, but it's not so at the playing level. Um, you're quite right. Also, right says, yeah, the market is not supporting the model has to be changed but i don't know i don't have a solution to me the solution is better is, is, is around better marketing and better connection with the community around the npc um and to me that's the that's the main thing and uh, to try and now to be fair to new zealand rugby uh they are and, and i think sky rugby uh, sky, sky has also realized this people buy sky tv um for super rugby for the all blacks they don't they don't buy on the whole for the npc or at least in numbers um, and hence, that's why you've suddenly, that's why you've seen uh, games uh, for this season, for the first time in, in quite a few years, being paid, being played at the same uh, at the same time. So we've got two games on a Saturday, two games on a Sunday, at the same time, because it, because it's more about it's becoming more about the uh, fans in the ground than the TV, or at least the the uh, the balance between TV audience and uh, ground 
uh, and attendance is, uh, is, is, is rebalancing um, a bit towards people actually turning up to the games rather than it just being about, the, um, about when TV needs to fill its channels, um, which is what we've seen with the Thursday night games. I think Wednesday night games we had as well, didn't we? Not, not that long ago. Um, so uh, that balance is definitely coming back. As Simon says, not charging $30 for a game. Um, yep, true. Look, around, around charging, it's difficult. We discussed this a bit on, uh, on Tuesday night um, with the All Blacks second test match about what, what price you charge. But if you make something free, you make it feel less valuable and less worthwhile. By putting a price on it, um, you make it feel more valuable people more, uh, and give it more value. So um, you have to be careful with your charging is to make it not seem like a um, not not seem like a, a a freebie that's not worth watching, but also not blocking particularly large families from going because the uh, because that's um, because it's too expensive. It's it's a, it's a balancing act. Um, yeah, the, the the easiest thing, sorry, just right, is the easiest thing is to see if we can transition supporters of club rugby into NPC. Hmm. So by having more club players transition, and this this goes for everyone, it goes for administrators, coaches, whatever. By doing that, it's going to be a lot more easy to engage the community. It's a very simple uh, change, which I think is in, in, inevitable. So we'll see how things pan out over the next season or two. I, I, I like what Tadadaki did by taking that game to uh, Pukikura Park. I think there's an opportunity for Wellington to go to Jerry... Jerry Collins Stadium. I think there's, you know, and even even here in Auckland, I think there's an opportunity for Auckland Rugby to either go to Western Springs or out west here to to uh, Waitakere Stadium. I mean, so these are quite, you know, boutique little little grounds. Get your community, get the local clubs involved with putting the food together. I realise there's a lot of tick boxes in and around um, sponsors and also food suppliers. At Eden Park, I know Eden Park have just changed, uh, about to change their caterer, their long-time caterer spotless is, is being moved on. I think it's, it's no great scoop or anything. It's words going around. But, yeah, I just think you've got to, Paul, you hit it on the head. You've just got to think outside the square. Yeah, and uh, I had an interesting interview that I released today with Aaron Lawton, um, the CEO of Counties Manukau. And one of the things we talk about is um, Navigation Home Stadium, which... If now I've not been to every single ground uh, in the the MPC, um, but I have been to everything north of Palm, of, of, of Manawatu, uh, including Manawatu, uh, and it is the well, well you say boutique, but it's definitely it's, it's the most rural stadium in some ways in the way it's built. Uh, uh, it definitely needs uh, it's definitely not twenty um, first century standard. Uh, by any stretch, um, but he talks about how he's not going to put money into something that doesn't get a return at the end of the day, and that look if and that he's not going to, and that it's about uh, that whatever money goes into it has to come back out of it several fold because it's being used. Um, putting in, I mean, it's the uh, 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 when is the last time, Boa, you saw a, a cafe ray tube TV? Uh, I can't recall. Right, that's what we have in the media box in counties in Navigation Home <laughs> Stadium. It's, it gives you an idea. So yeah, look, they're not wasting money on a flat screen TV for the for the, for the media to get to, to be able to watch 
uh, replays, even though there's no big screen in the ground, for example. Um, so and that's how tight things are there and, and how it is a, as I say, a uh, it, it, it's uh, look, it's a lovely ground. It, it, it feels more homely. It has more character than the majority of grounds around the country. Um, but that's uh, uh, it, it's balancing out between being. Well, yeah, I love it because, yeah, as I say, it feels like you're putting on a nice warm coat uh, at the beginning of each NPC season. Um, whereas going into Eden Park, you don't get that same feeling. It's not like putting on a nice uh, that, that old coat. Um, but the uh, but yeah, the, the, the as as um, Simon makes, there has to be a minimum standard of, of grounds. Yes, there does. Um, Absolutely. And uh, currently it has it, but it does need to. I, I'll, I'll, and Boa, you'll, you'll be surprised at this one. So um, I've never, I, I, one of the things I'd like to do is to see what a HIA assessment is. Um, but um, my understanding that part of it includes walking in a straight line online. The, uh, the only reason I know this is because at um, County's Manicow, at Navigation Home Stadium, the medical room is too small, and so they have a piece of tape in the, in the corridor, and you see the players walking up and down that piece of tape in the corridor, uh, doing their doing their post match HIAs. Um, so things like that, it's just not yeah, it's just not up to modern standards. Um, but uh, but it's just not worth at the moment. It, it, it's it, it wouldn't get the return to take taking that money away from. <laughs> Can't you know, know Here's something interesting now that we're on the topic is I, I recall a couple of years back, uh, I was part of the COD, which is a chair of delegates for rugby uh, representing my club, Manuka Rose. Um, when it came to hosting a gala final, um, something which interesting was put forward by uh, Oakland Rugby is that they said that it actually costs more to host a, a major game at a smaller boutique uh, ground for a better choice of words, than in a in a large stadium. And one of the reasons was that they have to get the uh, facilities, i.e. the parking, X amount of toilets, uh, catering, and all the other infrastructure up to scratch. And some of these grounds don't necessarily have it. But this, this product, I understand we have a big uproar from the delegates because, you know, in the community game, you know, when you play in a, in a you know, village park sort of, Esplanade style stadium, you know, you can actually smell the wet grass from the sidelines. You know, that's 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 the experience which the community comes up for. So there's there's this whole raft of things, uh, particularly in the modern day. So you know, everything complies with health and safety and all these other boxes they need to tick. So it's a lot more complex than we actually think. Uh, but that's the reality. So you know. I doubt we're going to see more games being played at smaller venues. If at all, it's only going to get bigger. And if they don't market this thing properly, it's going to be half empty stadiums. It's going to be playing rugby in ghost town. Well, um, I think some of the provinces will be moving out of their big stadiums um, because I do think it costs too much for them currently. Uh, and actually, so maybe the deal, the way that Auckland rugby works with the local council, particularly and, and with the Eden Park, um, that it is it is cost effective. Um, Waikato, uh, so I know from uh, uh, offhand comments that putting on the second big screen costs ten thousand dollars for one game, just to turn it on. <laughs> it's there, but to turn it on costs ten thousand. So that kind of stuff, um, 
yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Waikato move out of FMP Stadium in the next couple of years. Um, who knows? I've no idea what the deals are like down in uh, Wellington um, or down in uh, Dunedin and, and how well the provinces and the and the councils work with or the stadiums work with each other there. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's it's it's just that's uh, I think some of them are more expensive, but you're quite right. Uh, yeah, there is a there is there, there is a cost to going to small stadiums. Look, guys, um, we've been going for an hour and ten, so I think it's probably time for us to to, to wrap things up. Thank you, everybody uh, who has uh, taken part during the live chat. Thank you, everybody who gave us questions uh, on Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, and Facebook. Uh, don't forget, you can always listen to this as a podcast as well. We'll be back on Tuesday at eight pm with Jordan Moore Show, and I'll be back at uh, about five am in the morning on Sunday morning with post-match reaction to the Springboks versus the Pumas. Um, thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Let's do lockdown properly. Um, and let's come out the other side healthy. Thank you, Boa. Thank you, Stephen. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry champagne, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.